Please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 50. We're in our last sermon in the series on Isaiah. What was your most humiliating experience? How did you handle it? Well, here in Isaiah 50, uh, 4 through 11, the servant of the Lord describes his humiliation, his suffering, how he approached it, how uh, here the servant of the Lord is the Messiah in this passage. And uh, so this is a prophecy, some 700 B.C., as Isaiah uh, prophesies about the Messiah. And uh, you have the Messiah, servant of the Lord, describing his education, his humiliation, his uh, resolution, his justification, and then giving an admonition. Now, this is part of the servant of the Lord section of Isaiah. That section starts in Isaiah chapter 42, and then periodically throughout there, you'll hit passages about the servant of the Lord. Look at Isaiah chapter 42. Hold your place here and look at 42, 1 and 2. Here is my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one, in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He'll be the one with God's spirit. He'll be the anointed one, the word Messiah, anointed one. Uh, the counterpart of the Greek word Christos, or our word Christ, means the anointed one. And uh, it says, he will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. He won't raise an army uh, as far as how he brings justice to the nations. Then uh, look a little further on. Look at Isaiah chapter uh, 49, verse 6, where God says to his servant, Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant? To restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel, I have kept this servant of the Lord, would bring a remnant of the Jewish people to the Lord. But, he says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Are you a Gentile? Well, 700 B.C., uh, the servant of the Lord would be a light to the Gentiles, uh, Isaiah predicts. Now, let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 50, where we have the servant's education brought before us. Verse 4, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Notice what he's given, an instructed or a taught tongue, is education. Jesus the servant grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Just like you had to learn. He had to learn as true man. He was a true baby. He was a true child and he had to be instructed. Uh, he was also God, but he was true man. Uh, Hebrews 5.8, though he was a son, yet learned he obedience through the things 
which he suffered. Dr. J. Adams, who has been with us on occasion in his book, Competent to Counsel, uh, puts it like this. He says, specific acts of obedience are not intuitive even to a sinless son. He had to learn obedience. The desire to obey, of course, was always present in Christ. As a faithful, believing child of his father, Jesus the man wished to obey God. And yet to obey properly meant that he had to learn God's will. Such knowledge was not intuitive to his human nature, but had to be learned. Uh, Now, the reason for the instruction. He says in verse 4, The Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. That he might be able to comfort us and encourage us. Remember it says that Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And it says that we don't have a high priest who can't be touched with a feeling of our infirmity. He knows what it's like to be a human being. He's been a human being. He is a human being. And uh, so he knows the, the difficulties. And we can come to him, and he is able to speak a word to the weary. He is able to comfort. We can find grace to help in time of need. Now, uh, notice how he was instructed in verse 4. It says, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. It was a continual daily instruction uh, and an effectual instruction. Verse 5, the sovereign Lord has opened my ears. It was effectual. Now, uh, there's the, what he was given, this instruction and the reason for it. And Notice how he received it. How did he react? Verse 5, I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. What about you? As God has given you an education, as he's been training you, as he's put you through various things to mold your character, have you rebelled when something was painful? How did you respond? Did you obey God in that situation or did you rebel? He was not rebellious. Now, he's our pattern. He's showing us how we should receive God's education. We're told in Hebrews, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. And no chastening is present for the moment, but afterward it brings forth fruit, a holy life. Uh, So he's our pattern here of how we should receive the education God is giving us. Uh, Again, to quote from J. Adams, he says, Jesus learned God's will from God's word, which he applied to life. He had to learn how to develop biblical patterns by actual practice in responding to life's problems. This is precisely what we must do. Since obedience is the goal of the Christian life, 
the writer of Hebrews chads his readers for their lack of learning. He says, you should be teachers by now, but instead you need to be taught the elementary principles of Christianity. And he says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But solid food is for the mature who, listen to this phrase, the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. They had failed to practice and train themselves in holiness. Holy living, then, involves habit. God's will is often hard to do, even for a sinless son. In the days of his flesh, he prayed with loud crying and tears, we're told. And uh, though he was heard because of his godliness, yet he suffered, and through suffering was taught obedience. The practice of obedience in a sinful world was difficult. There were other seemingly easier ways, that is, easier for the moment only, that presented themselves. Sinful sons must similarly learn obedience, and it's all the harder for them. One must, listen to this, one must learn to do God's will, which is discovered in Scripture. He must practice the good so faithfully that whenever occasions to sin arise, as they will all through the day, he knows what to do and he does it with ease and expertness. How many of y'all play golf? Raise your hand. That's not a sin. How many of you play golf? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, do you know what to do when your ball gets in a sand trap? You say, yes, I take out my wedge and I, I hit right behind the ball. Don't hit the ball. Hit right behind the ball. Lift it up right on the green. Rolls in the cup. I know just what to do. How did you learn to do that? You say, I got in a sand trap for four hours. <clears throat> I practiced it until I knew what to do whenever my ball gets in a sand trap. That's what it says here. You must learn God's will from his word. And then you must practice it so faithfully that whenever occasions to sin arise, as they will all through the day, you know what to do and you do it with ease and expertness. That's, that's the goal. That's the pattern. And Christ is our example in this. Now, we've got the servant's education. Then you get the servant's humiliation. In verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. He tells us what sort of training he didn't rebel against. He didn't rebel against that kind of training, as humiliating as it was. You notice what it consisted of. Uh, I offered my back to those who beat me. In the uh, Matthew's account of the uh, trial and crucifixion of Christ, in uh, chapter 26 of Matthew, in verse 67, 
Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fist. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? Uh, In chapter 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they'd mocked him, they took off the robe, put on his own clothes, and then they led him away to crucify him. He didn't rebel against that. I offered my back to those who beat me, it says. Uh, goodness. You know, in the Old Testament, you had the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of God. In this box, you had the Ten Commandments. It symbolized God's presence. On one occasion, when it was being carried on a cart, and the cart almost tipped over, a man by the name of Uzzah reached out uh, to steady it, and he was struck dead. Lightning leapt from that box and struck him dead. But here are people who spit on God himself. Not a symbol of God. God himself. No lightning. Why? Well, this is part of what Christ underwent on our behalf. Uh, He offered himself to this. He didn't hide his face from spitting and shame. Uh, You read, uh, again, he's our example. You read in 1 Peter where it says... uh, Christ has given us an example that we should walk in his steps, who, though he was re- when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He just left his case to God. He didn't defend himself. He's our example. He has given us examples, says Peter. Uh, the Father gave that cup to him. Remember, uh, Jesus said when Peter draws his sword to protect him in the garden, Jesus said, put up your sword. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? So when they slap him in the face and mock him and got him blindfolded, who struck you? Could have said my father. This is part of what my father is putting me through. This is the cup he's given me. Shall I not drink it? Uh, again, uh, he's our example in how to respond to the tough things that we go through. Mustn't rebel against our Father's humbling of us. Mustn't retaliate against the instruments that he uses in the process. Give ourselves to such training. Let me give you an illustration. A man by the name of Benjamin Smock, uh, who underwent uh, some real painful things. His home burned down. His uh, family was hurt badly in the process. Then his family dies, and then he's blind. He goes blind, and then he's smitten with paralysis. And he wrote a hymn right at that point. My Jesus, as thou wilt, oh, may thy will be mine. Into thy hand of love I would my all resign. 
through sorrow or through joy, conduct me as thine own, and help me still to say, My Lord, thy will be done. My Jesus, as thou wilt, though seen through many a tear, let not my star of hope grow dim or disappear. Since thou on earth hast wept and sorrowed oft alone, I, if I must weep with thee, my Lord, thy will be done. My Jesus, as thou wilt, all shall be well with me. Each changing future scene I gladly trust with thee. Thus to my home above I travel calmly on and sing in life or death, my Lord, thy will be done. He's following his master's pattern and the way he responds to life's problems there. Now, uh, you have the servant's humiliation. And then you have the servant's resolution in uh, verse 7 of chapter 50. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Notice the servant's resolution. I have set my face like flint. He was determined to obey his father, not to rebel against whatever his father put him through, to drink that cup the father had given him. Uh, he set his face like a flint. You remember Jesus told his disciples when they got ready to go up to Jerusalem, he said, the Son of Man must be betrayed. Uh, I'll be taken. I'll be crucified. Uh, third day again, I will rise from the dead. And then in, in Luke 10, um, Luke 9, uh, 51, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The servant's resolution. Notice where his confidence was placed. He says uh, in verse 7, Because the sovereign Lord helps me. His assurance of certain things helped him. His assurance of the Father's help, his assurance that he would not be put to shame. It says, because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Uh, therefore, I've set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Not that he wouldn't undergo some very humiliating things, but that he would be vindicated in the long run. The Father would vindicate him. The Father would raise him from the dead. He would give himself to this, to pay for our sins. Then the Father would raise him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. And as a result of what he went through, millions upon millions upon millions, you and I would come to a saving relationship with God. Be forgiven. Now, uh, there's his, his uh, education, his humiliation, his resolution, and then his justification or his vindication. And verse 8, He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? His vindication, his, his consciousness there of the presence of God. He who vindicates me is near. His confidence in the vindication of God. The King James says, he is near that justifies me. And the term justification is a very familiar term to Bible students. Uh, the whole heart of our salvation is wrapped up in the concept of justification. That uh, Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Justification 
an act, says the Shorter Catechism, of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all our sins and uh, reckons us righteous, counts us righteous, declares us righteous, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. In other words, we're justified when we realize our guilt, our sin, our ill desert. And we realize Jesus Christ was God the Son, the servant of the Lord, who died in our behalf, underwent the punishment due us, paid for our sin. And we trust in him. We believe his claim to be God the Son who died and who rose. And we trust in him as our Savior. We don't trust anything else. We trust him to totally remove our sin and uh, take us to heaven one day to come and live in us. Uh, we're justified when we do that. We're not guilty. We're accepted. We're legally cleared. Now, our justification is based on the imputation, the crediting to us of another's guiltlessness. But his justification is due to his own guiltlessness. Uh, God would show that this is my servant and he has obeyed me. And so God would raise him from the dead and set him at his own right hand and set the record straight. Again, he's our, our example is he faces this with such confidence. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? You know what Paul does with that in Romans 8? Paul turns that around and applies it to you and me. It says, it said, uh, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God who justifies, who will condemn. It's Christ who died, yea, rather, who is risen from the dead, who is at the right hand of the Father, who makes intercession for us. What can separate us from the love of God? Can tribulation or nakedness or peril or sword? Me in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor height, any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. He turns that around and applies it to us. This assurance uh, that God will clear us and that no one can condemn us when we trust in Jesus Christ. His Indication. And then his admonition. First, the admonition to believers who walk in darkness. Are you walking in darkness? Something painful happening in your life, and you don't know why, and you don't know what to do? Does that ever happen to Christians? If I said, everybody here who's going through an experience like that, raise your hand. A lot of hands would go up, believe me. Notice what he says to those. In verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant, believes in Jesus Christ? Let him who walks in the dark, is a true believer who's walking in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. He's our pattern again. He's our example again. He went through this very dark time. Think of him on the cross as he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Was it dark? How dark can it get? But he relied on his Lord. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. 
And he's our pattern. He tells us, you do that. Uh, trust him. Trust him as your savior, as your defender, as your educator. He knows what he's about when he puts you through these things. As your shepherd. When darkness seems to veil his face, I trust in his unchanging grace. Like the author of the, of the hymn, my Jesus, as thou wilt, oh, may thy will be mine. Into thy hand of love I would my all resign, through sorrow or through joy. Conduct me as thine own, and help me still to say, my Lord, thy will be done. Uh, trust him. That's those who walk in darkness, although they trust in Jesus. Now, what about the non-Christian? who walks in the light of his own fire. Look at verse 11. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Here's a person who, instead of coming to the light of the world, Jesus makes his own light. He creates his own God. We say to him, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe his claim? Do you believe he was God become man? He died for you. He rose from the dead. He said, no, I don't believe that. Too many, too many questions. I can't accept that. Well, what do you believe? Well, I believe in a God of love who accepts everyone. And if you're a reasonably good person, you'll be okay. I believe you can go to him in any one of a dozen ways, Mohammedan way, the Buddhist way, the Jewish way, the Christian way. What have you done? Well, you've just lit a fire you're going to walk by. You've made up your own God who doesn't exist. And you're going to live in the light of it. But it's, that fire is going to burn you badly. Go walk in the light of your fires, of the torches you've set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand you will lie down in torment. You won't go to heaven. You will go to hell. Admonition, warning from a very loving servant who offers himself to you. Why did he go through all this? Why is this prophesied in such detail 700 years ahead? Because this is God's way of forgiving, and there is no other way. What could be plainer? What could be backed up by more evidence? So, uh, let me challenge you. What about you and me? What about you and me? Are you a Christian walking in darkness? Uh, how are you taking it? Are you rebelling against it? Are you rebelling against the education he's putting you through? Corrie Ten Boom, in her book, The Hiding Place, she was in a German concentration camp. She and her sister Carrie and her father had been killed and so on. And they went through so much humiliation. And every Friday they'd have to get undressed and go stand in this long cart and be medically examined. And all the guards would mock them as they are standing there naked. And one day as she's standing there naked, she, it suddenly occurred to her, when Jesus was on the cross, he was naked. Oh, sure, the artist put a little piece of cloth around his waist, but he wasn't. He was naked. And that suddenly dawned on her. And she crawled out to her sister, hidden, Kiri, Kiri, he hung naked on the cross. And Kiri said, oh, 
Oh. And I never thanked him. Amen. Amen. We need to let him be our pattern. He went through that for us. Well, let's trust him. When we walk in darkness, let's trust him. We say, Lord, go on with your educational process. I'm not going to rebel. I know you mean it for my good. I know you're fashioning me, and I trust you. And uh, if you're walking in the light of your own fire, leave it. Come to the light of the world. Let's pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, are you walking in darkness, uh, though a Christian? Will you trust him, not rebel? Uh, trust him. And if you're not a Christian, leave the light you made up and come to the true light. Come to Christ. Pray in your heart. If you really believe he is who he claims to be, come to him. Pray like this. Lord Jesus, too long I've walked by another light. I come to your light. And I do trust you and I do surrender to you. Come into my life. Amen.